Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, well today we're going to start Siman Shin Vav in Shohan Aruch. That speaks about uh, the concept of we're still with this Pasuk in Yeshayahu that you have to um, consecrate Shabbat, make it distinct by not doing things that you do during the week. I'm not going to read the whole Siman. Some of the things are not relevant today. I'm going to highlight some things. Seif Aleph. So the interpretation of the Pasuk Hefetz, in modern Hebrew, the word hefetz is object. In biblical Hebrew, the hefetz means desire or uh, or a goal. So mimtzahefzecha means refrain from achieving your um, objectives on Shabbat. So any preparation, planning for something that cannot be done on Shabbat should be avoided. Uh, and the rabbis explain, afilu bedavar, even if you're not performing any work at the time, you go, let's say you're, uh, you're uh, renovating your house and you're living temporarily in a house in the same neighborhood and you say, okay, let's go over, just check what progress was made on, uh, you know, so to be ready for the next, for next week, that you shouldn't do on Shabbat. So this, of course, is a recommendation. When they say asul, forbidden, it's based on the interpretation of the, uh, of the prophecy of Yeshayahu, and usually we don't learn halakha from Navi. So it's really uh, more of a recommendation, and I think most of us feel naturally what is the appropriate thing to do here. Um, also, they talk about the concept of to walk to the limit of where you could walk on Shabbat. So when Shabbat is over, you could be closer to your destination. I think this is something that is not very uh, relevant today because we have means of transportation. You're not going to save much by walking another three hours on Shabbat to be at the border of the Tchum. So that's not something that you hear of commonly. Um, but that is Saif Dalid is relevant. If you hire someone for something which is uh, inactive, he's a guardian, he has to guard your field or anything. So he doesn't do anything specific, he's just preventing damage. Still, you cannot pay for Shabbat. Rather, you should pay him for a week or a month and then automatically also has to do it on Shabbat. That's separate from the discussion that we have about Amira Legoy, about telling a non-Jew to do things for you. This is about that person just sitting and watching your stuff. He's not doing anything. Still, you cannot pay him. Saif uh, Hay, something that applies to all Hazanim and to many rabbis. 
אסור לזכור חזנים, להתפלל בשבת, ויש מי שמתיר. He can't hire someone to be a חזן and work only on שבת, because then you're paying him for his work on שבת. And some people allow that. The same thing could apply to rabbi. Usually a rabbi of a community works 24-7. Right? We could, from experience I could tell you that. Uh, you always have to be accessible. But if you're a visiting scholar or you come for a Shabbat, then you're basically, and you're paid for it, then you were hired for one Shabbat. How can you get payment for Shabbat? So some say it's forbidden. Some say it's mutar. Those who say it's mutar rely on the fact that it's not a biblical prohibition, but rather an expansion of the, um, of the uh, words of Yeshayahu into something that is like a prohibition. However, some say that if you want really to make sure that there's no uh, transgression committed, if you hire that person for a week, for a year or a month, everybody agrees it's allowed. What happens with uh, high holidays, Hazanim, they only come for 10 days, uh, and they, the 10 days, but they only work on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and Shabbat. So what do you do with that? So the trick is that you don't pay them for, for their work on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Rather, you pay them for the Minha of Erev Kippur and for Arvit of Motzei Kippur, for, the, for those two prayers, they get uh, the, the, the bulk of the payment, and the rest is they do it voluntarily. So that's legal fiction. It just meant to help us digest it, to make it, to make it uh, sort of permissible. But the truth is, like I said, it's, it was never really forbidden. Hefzei Shamaim, Mutar Ledaber Bahem, כגון חשבונות של מצווה לפסוק צדקה ולפקח על דברי עסקי רבים ולשדך התינוק לארס וללמדו ספר האומנות. So, you're allowed to talk about heavenly issues, meaning issues of מצווה, such as calculating מצווה, for example, if you have to raise funds to uh, redeem, to pay ransom, which was very common in medieval times, or to collect charity, or to lifzok tzedakah, to assess the, uh, the, the worth of every person in the community in order to decide how much charity they will have to give. This was practice in medieval times. Today would be horrified by it. But in many Jewish communities, the gabaim of charity had the authority to enter your house and look at your stuff because that's where you, where you kept your money, right? No bank accounts. So they look at the silverware and the, and the glassware and say, okay, how much money do you have? And then they will say, okay, you have to pay that much as taxes for the community. Uh, talk about membership problems, right? Um, <clears throat> so that is allowed. And also, if you, you want to talk about shiduchim for your teenager, tinok doesn't mean a baby, it means a teenager. Also, if you find a good teacher for your, for your, for your son or your daughter and... You can talk to them on Shabbat, talk to them because it's important. And those two words, I have a feeling, are forgotten in most of the, in most of the, uh, the Haredi Yeshivot. O Umanut, if you find on Shabbat a teacher who could teach your son craftsmanship, carpenter, 
a shoemaker, a, a blacksmith, that's umanut of the time, a tailor, and you say, hey, I have a son who's 12, 13, 16, I don't know, and I want you to teach him, will you do it? Can we talk about that? The Shohan Aruch says, it's a mitzvah, you should do it on Shabbat. Contrary to the belief that working is a transgression, so Shohan Aruch makes it very clear, such a mitzvah that you're allowed to talk about on Shabbat, mutar limdod b'Shabbat medida she mitzvah, you're allowed to measure a measure for the purpose of mitzvah, such as measuring the mikveh. And it's interesting to note, what is the second example that the Shohan Aruch provides as a measuring for a mitzvah? It says, If you want to measure the belt or the, uh, the girdle of someone who's, uh, who's ill, because once you know the exact measurement, you could say a, a specific spell on it that will heal that person. So this is witchcraft and wizardry. But that's okay because it's a mitzvah. So we see that alongside the logical uh, assumptions and arguments in the Shohan Aruch, we also have this kind of superstitions that crept in and are even considered mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to do that. But in the Shohan Aruch's defense, we could say, Maybe they believe that it helps in a like a placebo. The, the moment that someone sees that you measure his belt and you say you utter several words, words over it, he believes that he's going to be healed. Uh, in Saif Het, halacha that is impossible to follow. You're allowed to think of your business on Shabbat, just thinking, but not doing anything practical. However, because of the pleasure of Shabbat, Onik Shabbat, it's recommended not to think about them at all, and consider all of his work as if it is done. Uh, and that didn't always work for people. I think we've mentioned it before, the Rema says that the reason in, uh, that in uh, the Ashkenazi communities, there's no uh, duchening or nesiat kapayim, uh, Birkat Kohanim on Shabbat is that people are concerned, they are very uh, anxious and sad about the fact that they're not uh, running their business on Shabbat. But only on Yom Tov, when they have a good meal and they're happy, it's okay. So uh, the Ramah admits that people were not, it was not very easy for people to keep up with that. I think we're blessed today, we have a more of a leisure uh, culture. Uh, the I think that the, the the test for a lot of people is to keep away from uh, from their phones and and computers. If they use them on Shabbat, there is like this kind of called half Shabbat that people keep certain things, but except for using the cell phone uh, or or other electronic devices, and that maybe not for us, but for digital natives, for younger people. There's a big struggle because they, they can't let go of them. And I think that is where uh, we should try to think more of this halakha. I won't say implement it because the issue, you, want, you don't want to impose anything on anyone. But really try people to feel how it is going a whole day without, uh, without checking your email or messages or anything like that. And this is really uh, this is a major undertaking. Um, so... As the, the Shohan Aruch says, you can't prevent people from thinking about that, but it's better not to. Um, Seif Yud Aleph, very interesting. 
מותר לקנות בית בארץ ישראל מן האינו יהודי בשבת וחותם ומעלה בערכאות. You're allowed to buy a house in Eretz Yisrael from a non-Jew because this is considered redemption. You're rede- redeeming the land even if it's on Shabbat. So the only day you could effectuate the sale is on Shabbat. So you do it, you sign, and you present it to the non-Jewish courts. Ma'ale be'arkaot. The Haggah adds, the Rema, be'arkaot shelahem, b'ktav shelahem, de'eno asur rak mid'arabanan. So the Haggah says you can take it to a civil court and you write it in their language because writing in another language other than Hebrew is forbidden only by rabbinical decree. And here, because we want to settle Eretz Yisrael, the decree does not hold. So that is a halakha that we will return to when we learn the concepts of writing on Shabbat. And that will be really, I think, startling to a lot of people, including people who study halakha regularly, to find out that there is a, a very strong case for saying that the only type of writing which is forbidden on Shabbat is the official Assyrian script, the one that we use for the Sefer Torah. And even if we apply it to other types of script in Hebrew, It's only Hebrew and not other languages. Um, we could definitely not apply, you cannot apply, sorry, the concept of writing to digital writing. But not saying that it's, if it will be mutar wasu, that has to do with what we spoke before, but from the point of view of writing, this is not writing. Which, as a side issue, also uh, knocks out the argument of not Uh, being able to apply makeup on Shabbat because it's like writing. Any, uh, I think most Orthodox women and men, if you ask them, why can't you put mascara on Shabbat? They say because you're, uh, you're writing. No, you're not writing. This is not a pencil. You're not writing any letters. Then they will say coloring. You're not coloring either because you cannot dye human skin uh, with, with a pencil or any color that the, the, is there you know, in regular cosmetics. But that's another issue. The important thing here is that this is a statement from, that appears in the Talmud. You could buy a house from an Anjo on Shabbat and you sign it and you present it to the Akkad. The original statement did not make any reservations how you sign what you write. Later on they came with this reservation, Baktav Shelahim. It could be in another language, not in Hebrew. Then They, they came, they came, uh, someone came up with a, it's not clear, I mean, we can find out the source, but here it's presented by the Mishnah Bura. The Mishnah Bura says, uh, about Chotemu Ma'ale Ba'erkaot, and Atteret Zvi also brings it, Chotemu Ma'ale Ba'erkaot, meaning you sign it and you present it to the civil court. He says, not God forbid that the Jew will do it, but rather, Perush Demar Elokis Shel Dinar, the Jew can show him the bag with the coins, And the Goy writes it, and the non-Jew writes it in a, in a non-Hebrew script that is only forbidden with the Rabbanan. So you're not writing, and you're not writing in Hebrew, so it's okay. But really, that's not what the Halakha says. The original Halakha is very clear. You write it, and you sign it on Shabbat. Seif Yudaled. Misha Shalchulo, Shehotziu Bito Mi Beto Beshabbat, Lehotziya Miklal Yisrael. מצווה לסום לדרך פעמיו נשתדל בהצלתה. 
If someone was told, and that is based on a true case, uh, that one of the responses that the Shuhana Abu dealt with, uh, if someone was told that his daughter was kidnapped on Shabbat in order to be converted to another religion, he must travel on Shabbat and tr- find, try to save her. He should travel as far as to cross the Tchum Deoraita, and if he doesn't want, we force him. Uh, so one day we say, wow, beautiful, we, are, we do care about the, the girl, right? Shayna. You're not happy with that? I know why, I think. Because the concern, yeah? Well, the, the thing is, why is it necessary to say that? Because that's, that, I mean, that's, that's the epitome of saving a life. Right, that should be obvious. Uh, however, uh, it's not so clear, it was not so clear to them. And I think that also the, the intriguing thing is, that they say specifically they took her from your house to convert it to convert her to another religion. Meaning, if they would have said they took her from your house to do whatever they're going to do to her, but she's going to remain Jewish, that's okay. You don't have to go. But that's her mentality. And you see in one of the commentators here that I saw before, um, where was that? Uh, so. The Bayeretev explained, why is it mitzvah? Because, God forbid, if he doesn't do it, she will be a convert forever, converted to another uh, religion. Uh, but the Mishnah Buah here says, V'chol zemayri, you see the end of the first line, V'chol zemayri shehotziua enam yehudim mibeito be'ones. That is only if the non-Jews took her out of his house by force. Aval im pasha'a, but if she... If she joined them deliberately, the father should not desecrate Shabbat for her, which really is uh, scary. It's a bit, you know, it's not. It's a very scary. It's a, an extremist opinion because you might be talking about a teenager, about a woman who doesn't who doesn't really know what's going on. Maybe she was tempted. Maybe she was enticed to say to the father, "Oh, you know, she went willingly." So let her suffer the consequences. She's the criminal. You uh, so definitely this is not the way uh, the way we should act. Uh, and I think that uh, intuitively this is not how people acted when they knew that someone is in danger. They went and and they did what they had to do. Um, okay, so this is Siman Shinvav. We're done with that. Uh, let me pause for a second and see if we have any questions on this. So. Want to go back to the Shohan Aruch? And wait, uh, wait, Rabbi, I have, I have a question. Would the age matter? Yeah. Like if it's like a no, like a young they, girl, like sixteen. They don't say anything. It's like just uh, yeah, Bito. Apparently, as long as she's under his uh, uh, custody, it's his responsibility. But the Mishnah Bura says uh, it's just a. Uh, um, this is what we call the casuistic phrasing of halacha. It's not. It's not the uh, absolute format that says, though, the legalistic format which say you're allowed to, you know, transgress Shabbat in order to save a person. But rather, if someone's daughter was kidnapped, you could go. What about if you heard that someone's daughter was kidnapped? Could you go? Of course, you could go. Anyone goes. 
the halacha is that if a hundred people, if a hundred people heard that, and even if they know that nine, each one of them knows that 99 other people heard it, each one of them must go because you don't know who's going to save her. And if you don't do it, we will fall into the trap of everybody thinks someone else is going to do it. So uh, there's no limit here. Um, in Siman Shin Zayin, he speaks about mitzvot that uh, that d- depend on dibur because the next part of the pasuk is v'daber davar. You should not speak words uh, that are not appropriate for Shabbat. So uh, you sh- you should not ilkach diburcha shel Shabbat lo diburcha shel chol. The way you speak on Shabbat should not be the same as you speak on a, on a regular day. Um, but also. Even if you want to keep that mitzvah, it doesn't mean that you're allowed to offend other people. Of course, I've seen it more than once, especially with Baalit Shuvah, that other people are about to, t- to tell them something, and they stop, they cut them short, and they say, no, 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 this is not Shabbat, I don't want to hear about that. This is not polite, this is not something that the halacha says, the other person is about to talk to you, find a way to divert the, the conversation to the topic that you think is appropriate, but not uh, in an offensive manner. Um, and he says, "Va'afilu." So what you shouldn't do is, I'm going to do this or I'm going to buy that. Va'afilu b'sihad devarim betelim asul la'abot, and you can't even uh, talk too much idle talk. And uh, that again is something that happens. I, uh, I have read my brother-in-law actually in Israel decided that on Shabbat he's not going to talk about anything that is not related to Shabbat. So. Uh, the best way for him to do it is to declare a ta'ani dibur, a talking fast on Shabbat. So on Shabbat, he doesn't say anything except of his learning and the brachot. And his wife is actually very happy because that's an opportunity for her to tell him whatever she wants and he cannot, he cannot respond. So it's a, it's a fun game for them. <clears throat> but uh, the, I mean, the, you know, uh, joking aside, this is a dangerous thing because... For that person who thinks that he's doing a mitzvah by not saying anything, uh, what he thinks is idle talk, he cuts himself off from his family. They cannot talk to him, his children, uh, there's no communication. That is in itself a mitzvah. The Haggah adds, Uvnei adam shesipur shmurot vedivrei chidushim hu oneg people who enjoy the hearing the news, uh, and that's their pleasure. You could talk to that. You could talk about it on Shabbat the way you do on a regular day. Um, uh, but if you do not do not derive benefit from it, if you don't enjoy it, don't say it just to make your friend happy, uh, which is a bit, you know, uh, that's too much addition. Is is known for his kind of sakim, but really, uh, when I read that, I'm thinking about a famous story that I think is important, you know, for people to know. There, uh, and a very well-known halacha is that amitzta'ir patur min asuka. That if uh, if sitting in the sukkah is uncomfortable for you, you're too cold or you're sick or something, you're exempt. You don't have to sit in the sukkah. So it actually is a story about the the Hafez Haim, the author of the Mishnah Bura, who had a guest who came over on on Sukkot. And the uh, and the Hafez Haim told him, he said, I'm very sorry, I'm not feeling well. So if you don't mind, you eat in the sukkah. I'm going to stay in the house. And then when after you're done eating, come join me in the house. 
So the guest went to the sukkah, but after a couple of minutes, the Hafez Haim joined him. And the guest was surprised as what happened. And the Hafez Haim answered, he said, uh, not feeling well exempt me from sitting in the sukkah, but it does not exempt me from hospitality. Still have to be nice to you. Um, so I think similarly, if you see that saying something or, or doing something, like say, you know, talking about the news on Shabbat makes your friend happy, do it. Even though I would agree that one topic that you should avoid around the Shabbat table is politics. It never ends well. Um, but the... Uh, um, that idea of, of you know limiting your Shabbat talk in a strict manner is never healthy. And uh, I've seen that around different Shabbat tables. For me, the, the Shabbat table of my grandfather, where everything was open for conversation, science, technology, philosophy, poetry, uh, except for politics, that was, I think that is a good recipe to open a dialogue and have people talk around the table. Uh, okay. Uh, Rabbi Avadja? Yes. Um, since the the audio is rather hard to understand, I'm wondering if you're recording this so that maybe I can go back later. One second. Okay, so well, after this sort of technical problem, we're going to continue in Siman Shinzain. Um, so Siman Shinzain speaks about speaking. What what are the words that you're allowed to say or not say on Shabbat? Um, so we spoke about talking about the general uh, concepts that are not related directly to Shabbat. Um, Another important halacha here is in Seif Yud Gimel, Shitre Hediotot, Dehainu, Shitre Chovot, Vecheshbonot, Veigrot, Shel Shelat Shalom, Asur Likrotam. So that's what they called, uh, you know, lay lay material or uh, something that is not related to Torah or mitzvah, which is shitre chovot v'cheshbonot, the bills, etc. Ve'igrot shel she'elat shalom, even uh, letters that people send you, you cannot read it on Shabbat. V'afil ra'in ben velo asu. Now, why can't you read letters on Shabbat? The Mishnah Bura says, mishum demichlaf v'shitre adyotot, because... Uh, you're going to confuse them with bills. I don't think today it doesn't really apply, let alone who really sends a letter. Unfortunately, this this is a lost art. Nobody does letters. People send cards, and usually they're uh, pre-made. Last year, I think I got three handwritten letters, and each one of them was on my desk for a month, waiting for an opportunity to write back. But anyway... um, a lot of people would not open letters on Shabbat, which I think is is uh, is probably correct because most of the letters that you get are bills, and you don't want to open it on Shabbat. But if there's a letter that really interests you and you want to open it, the halacha is that you can open it. It's allowed to open it. Um, it's not considered korea uh, or mechatech or anything like that, like some people say, because it's mekalkel. You don't you have to you don't have to worry about that. Because it's uh, the paper is destroyed, you're not going to use it again. Um, and if there are there are some people who are very environmentally minded and will keep open envelopes to put stuff in them, 
um, they fall under the category of batla da'atam mitzel kol adam. They're uh, a negligible uh, group within the majority, so we don't consider their behavior to be the norm, so usually you could do that. Um, kotel o vilon, sheyesh bo tzurot hayot meshunot od yoknaot shel bnei adam shel maasim, kigon milhamot david vegoliat vechodvim zot tzurat ploni vizet yokan ploni, this is a typical description of medieval uh, art on in palaces and, uh, of course, churches, but the Jews wouldn't go to. But even some synagogues would have that, and that is the uh, it says uh, a wall or a curtain um, that has uh, woven on it di- uh, weird animals or maybe monsters or uh, or people with stories. As the the wars of David and Goliath, and they write this is uh, this is this and this is that. Uh, you cannot read it on Shabbat. Um, there's a famous uh, fabric, like I think from Bordeaux, where you see that you know one of the uh, Crusaders, or maybe Roland, one epic song from the time of the uh, uh, of the wars of the Franks against the uh, the Britons. Uh, so this is what they refer to. You cannot read it on Shabbat because it's going to distract you. Maybe you're going to write um, the. Uh, um, and in Seif it says, Parables and allegories, uh, romances and stuff that, that people had, this literature, this kind of literature in medieval times. Uh, he quotes Sefer Emanuel, it's, it's a book called Emanuel Aromi. It was an Italian uh, poet that wrote poetry that was a bit uh, saucy, a bit uh, uh, bold. And he says, you, you don't, don't read it on Shabbat. And, and he adds, you can't even read it on a weekday because of Moshav Letzim, because of its mockery and it borders on idolatry. Uh, and uh, you're uh, enticing the, uh, one's desire. And if you wrote it or copied it or printed it, you cause the the public to sin. So this is a very traditional sort of extremist uh, uh, point of view. The uh, the Haga actually here is more a little more lenient. It says The Haga says the idea that you cannot that you cannot write uh, that you cannot read those books. Um, on Shabbat only, uh, or on on a weekly day, on weekdays, it's only if they are written in a in another language. But if they're written in Hebrew, it's okay. It's also uh, not very much in line with the the way the uh, the Haredi community thinks today, where Hebrew is not the Shona, it's the Shona Kodesh. It's only for holy um, texts and not other things. Um, the uh, I have a question, Rabbi. On this. Yes. So let's say I have, uh, I'm just going to throw, everybody knows Fifty Shades of Grey, right? I never read it, but it's very popular. Yeah. So according to this halakha, I'm not allowed to read it in English, but if I were to pick up the translation that they sell in Israel in Hebrew, it would be mutal. That's a tough question. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I, I didn't read the book. I don't know if I would sanction, you know, uh, Depends on how it affects how it affects people, you know. Uh, personally, with my children, and I say out to other people, 
will never censor any type of literature. I think that if you read something and you feel that it's right for you, you read it. And if you think that it's not right for you, you drop it. Uh, I think that, uh, the, for me, literature that would be forbidden or not should not be read is literature that, that brings people to treat each other with disrespect. That would be that would be a problem. I mean, so if what if, I don't know if the book is a uh, the full under literature they call you know uh, uh, exploiting or but if not no it's to, to each his own. It's, it's very you know like romantic sexual. Yeah, stuff. I'm just using it as a general. I understand uh, you took. I know you're going to give an extreme extreme example, but I'm saying in every in every genre or in everything that you do. The, eventually, the 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 person who holds the uh, the yardstick is you. Um, the, you know, some people could read the Tanakh, and uh, you know, and and find. You know, the rabbis were considering Shira Shirim should be you know should be buried because they were they don't know how we would interpret it. And in uh, um, sometimes you know, I attend a a, a Talmud uh, learning group on Shabbat. That uh, Rabbi Rubin is also part of it, so he knows what I'm talking about. That sometimes we're we're learning Talmudic texts, and those who want to take it to strange places can do it with even with the Talmudic text, uh, right? So eventually, it's up to us. So that's what I'm saying. This this halachot in uh, that I'm just teaching now in the Shohan Aruch, you know, should be taken with the salt, with the with the grain of salt, and you, people have to use discretion on what to do and what not to do. Um, to me, when those things. Uh, uh, get out of hand is when you see um, that this is what happens and, you know, depends on, on, on the household. Uh, when you see households that uh, forbid any type of literature except this which, which, which is sanctioned by the, uh, the Orthodox uh, authorities and where the, the parents would not allow the, the children to play board games on Shabbat or stuff like that. Um, and they would say, you play, I'm not going to play with you. But what they, they cause is this uh, uh, feeling of uh, alienation between the parents and the children. One second. I'm going to pause the recording for one second. So, um, <clears throat> and I'll add to this, you know, that from experience, Shabbat, that I have to stay with a... Uh, um, how would you call it? With the with an uh, with the Haredi family. Baba, we can't hear you. I think you're on. Oh, mute. sorry. You're right. Okay, so repeat that because it's in the recording. Um, and sometimes I have to spend Shabbat and, and, uh, with the Haredi family, and I know that I'm not going to have uh, any any reading material, you know, other than so my learning material. Or sometimes the books that they're in the library, I would learn as well. But if I want something else to read, uh, I have a problem. I bring my own reading material. But it was one family, not my family, friends of mine, that um, that I stayed over when I lived in LA and come came visiting several times. And I was always struck by the by the fact that they didn't have one uh, one good teenager, you know. Teen reading or or, or uh, youth um, reading material. None of the great names of the great works or you know of the popular works that's out there out there. Definitely not not even the you know Harry Potter or anything like that. Um, so they were all they were all the the Orthodox sanctioned uh, authorized uh, 
uh, uh, books, and I tried to read some of them. It was horrible. It was really uh, so... How do you say? You know, it was written for a purpose. It's an agenda. It's it's the uh, it's shallow. Why? So why is it important? Okay, so they don't have good reading material. The uh, the two older daughters in that family went completely off the derech in a way that the parents are devastated. They don't understand what happened to their daughters. And when I say completely off the derech, I mean that they they dress in a way that. For, for their uh, their parents is provocative, is preposterous. But they're not only doing it because they feel comfortable like that, but they definitely do it to upset their parents. They went to the to the engagement of one of the children and all of the all of the guests were Haredi and those girls came in in their you know they know they're not even trying to do something. I'm not saying that they have to do it. I'm saying think the way this is what happens. You see, when you when you take these halachot and you stick with them to an extreme, and you say you could only read this, you could only do this. Uh, we we're you know there could be a beautiful world of literature and poetry out there, but we're not going to let you see it. That's what you're going to have. You're going to have later on destruction. Um, so, as I say, I'm reading those halachot as a cautionary tale. You know that uh, um, that's definitely not what I, what I preach. Yeah. Um, yes, the, I agree with the Daniel's uh, uh, statement that the derech is too narrow. I was just talking to someone about that. I, but what what is it that we're trying to do? And I think in a way, what we're trying to do, you know, in Torah ve'ava, in this mechaber, was oh, is a renaissance of Judaism. So to bring back our ancient values into life and realize that what we think is today maybe modern orthodoxy or orthodoxy is really. Uh, almost like the dark age in, in a sense, and it's not it's not healthy. Um, so, and that brought, brought brought to my mind an example of the the kind of debates, religious debates that uh, raged on the in the uh, in medieval times before the Renaissance. One of the one of the favorite theological debates was how many angels could uh, fit on a on a pin's head, right? And I feel in many. Uh, in many aspects, this is what the Haredi community is trying to do today, and they try to fit so many angels on that tiny uh, pinhead. Eventually, they fall off. They fall off the derech, and you know, and, and you lose them. So uh, they have to open up a little bit. Okay, so let's go back to halacha. Um, we uh, okay, just to show you the the immediately following this in Sefer Yudzayin, uh, where it says Asul ilmod b'Shabbat v'yomtov zulat b'Divrei Torah. The uh, you could only learn the Vrei Torah on Shabbat. You can't learn general sciences. But some people allow that. And Astrolab was a an old measuring uh, uh, utensil for that that usually uh, sailors used. It says some say that it's forbidden, some say it's mutar. So regarding science, they have a debate. But in Seif Yudhad, they say Lishol Minashed. If you want to ask a demon, if you have a question that you need to communicate to a demon, you're allowed to do it on Shabbat in the same manner that you're allowed to do it on a, on a regular day. So uh, when you see that you have realized that all these things that are written about literature and sciences, and, and in Shohan Aruch, you have to take in a, with limited, uh, uh, limited authority there, uh, we, I think we understand better today that the more we learn, the more we know, 
the more our our intellect is engaged and and uh, and 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 peaked, it's it's better for the overall approach and overall education of uh, of our children of our families. Um, okay, so that is safe shin zain. We let's let's. Uh, Pause for a second, see if we have one more questions on that issue. Now, we're going to go to Siman Shinhet, it's an essential Siman, because it speaks about Mukze. So, what is, what is the, the concept of Mukze? Literally, Mukze means set aside. There was actually a part in the, not on, in the house, outside the house, that was called Mukze. It was the... Uh, the pan or the storage area where you would store usually uh, firewood and stuff like that. And it was called mukse because it was in the katse, it was in the corner of the house. That's the idea of katse. Um, but the rabbis borrowed this term of mukse to say that there are certain objects on Shabbat, you sort of push aside and you put in a corner and you fence them off and you don't want to touch them on Shabbat. Um, so those things you cannot, you cannot you, or you should not touch on Shabbat. And this is something that was taken way out of uh, uh, out of context, out of proportion, and almost everything falls into mukte today in the in the uh, the orthodox mentality. But look what the the Shohana said based on the Mishnah: Kol akelim nitalim beShabbat, chutz mi mukte mehamat hesron kis. You could re, you could move around any utensil on Shabbat. Except something that you don't want to touch because it's extremely expensive, such as a knife of the or the knife of the shohet or the knife that is for the milah, uh, the razor of a barber, and the knife that scribes used to uh, make the quills. Kevan shemakpidim shelo lachol bem tashmi shacher asur etatelo b'shabbat. Because you make sure that you don't want to do anything else with them, you don't move them on Shabbat. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, other than that, Shabbat also says you could carry anything. And in Seif Bet, it says, Any, any utensil, any object in your house, even if it's extremely heavy and and big, it's it's still a utensil. You could still still an object. You could carry it around. Could be the sofa. Could be the you know uh, a mallet that uh, you know you use playing not golf. What's it called? This cricket, whatever. The, all these things you could carry around on Shabbat. Uh, and another thing, in Seif Gimel, klishe melachtoli isur mutar letaltelo a an instrument that is usually used for something forbidden, you're allowed to move it on Shabbat, whether to use it, to use the object itself, or if you need the place uh, where it is, so you're allowed to, you're allowed to move it. So what is the Tzorech Gufo? You need the object itself. You have a hammer, even if the hammer is usually used by a goldsmith or a blacksmith, when you needed to crack some nuts, you could do it on Shabbat. Or, kurdom uh, devela, an axe, in order to cut a uh, a block of dried figs, that was very hard, you had to really use a lot of force to cut it, that you could do. 
או לצורך מקומו, this thing occupies the space that you need, you can move it in order to use that space. But you cannot move it uh, from an unsafe to a safe place just to, 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 to save this object. Um, but if that uh, instrument is uh, usually used for something which is for, permitted, you could uh, move it around even if you want to protect it from being broken or, or moved. So that, those are the, um, the core halachot as mentioned in the Mishnah. They're very simple. Now, the, the reason why that became complicated is that we've changed and we've evolved from a society where you have very few utensils at home. Like when they think of something that you use usually for something forbidden are tools of construction. And they say, you, you could find a use for them. Tools are very expensive. There'll be a couple of knives that are so sharp and you don't want them to, uh, to have a fault. But if you, when you walk into a modern household, you have thousands of items. And how can you determine each one of them, whether it's muktzeh, it's not a muktzeh, could I use it or not, what other use uh, it's ha- it has. So that is how um, the, this, this safe really got out of proportion. I'm going to go to things that are really uh, relevant for us. Uh, and this, for example, safe you had, what if you walk in, uh, in the street and you see that there is a, he says a thorn, but what if a broken glass? You should move it, you should move it to the side, so people will not be damaged by it. If it's Carmelit, you could pick it up and move aside. Based on what I said in the name of Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Mesas, you should really make sure that the, the, the road is clear uh, everywhere. I personally uh, am very careful about that when I see broken glasses or, or broken branches that people could trip on. I move it aside because uh, when I was a kid, when I was, I think, in second grade, um, the neighbor next to our school used to, once in a while, she would throw their, her used bottles into, the, into our playground. And I don't know why she did that, but... Uh, I, I fell and one shard of glass got into my knee. I spent most of the, the summer vacation in bed. And since then, since second grade, I'm very, very uh, cautious whenever I see broken glass. I know, you know something could trip on it. And this is something really that we see is mentioned halakha, even on Shabbat, you should move it uh, so people would not, would not fall. Uh, all the examples that he brings here up until Seif Kavav, are really uh, things that we don't usually have. Um, They're not household items. They are construction materials. So, yes, if you have uh, at home maybe a couple of boards, uh, floorboards, you're fixing the floor, don't move them on Shabbat. So there is a... uh, The procedure that we should take uh, care to do is before Shabbat, scan the house and see what are the things that I don't think I'm going to move on Shabbat and put them aside uh, a lot of the things that we have today cannot easily fall into the categories of mukze or not, even though people just throw that label on anything. Uh, like, is a cell phone a mukze on Shabbat? You could say, yeah, because Melach Isu, you use it to call, but is the Isu rabbinical, rabbinical or biblical? Um, what do you do if you left your cell phone on the table uh, between the halot and the, and the wine and everything? 
uh, you know, last minute before Shabbat, what are you going to do? You're going to shake the the tablecloth until it falls? It's better to take it and put it aside uh, because it will cause you more of Ogomat Nefesh if if that stays there. It will cause you sorrow uh, and damage even. So, and this is all rabbinical, it's better to move. Here I would say that the halacha that we've learned several simanim ago, I think in... Uh, uh, it was uh, maybe a rational head that if you travel and you got to the city before Shabbat and you realize no, not you couldn't make it to the city before Shabbat and you realize that you're carry, carrying money you could keep on going with the money into the into the city and they say why did we allow you to carry the your wallet into the city we know that you would not stand idly by and see your money being stolen or lost. So instead of you doing it in a way which is forbidden, we allow you to do it. So I think when it gets to issues like that, you have precious uh, electronics that were left, uh, a laptop that was left, like say, on the table. Uh, you don't do what you would have done maybe with money, which is, you know, push it to the floor and, you know, sweep it under with your foot under mm-hmm. something, but rather take it and put it in some somewhere safe <clears throat> because otherwise... Either you're going to suffer, or whoever left it there is going to suffer. Um, so, we'll see if Zion. This is a long saif, and I actually the the second half. There are many details that the, several details I would like to um, to dwell on. Um, one of them is safe twenty seven Kavzain. What about leftovers on the table? Uh, a lot of people today are very. They think they're strict about this but they misunderstand the reality of today versus that of the Shulchan Aruch. And then at the end, the Shulchan Aruch brings um, a couple of uh, new items for him that uh, that we have to talk about also. So I think we'll stop here today. Hopefully we will have a show next week. Uh, depends, and anyway, I will send you a message. Uh, Bezrat Hashem. Uh, I hope we'll meet next week. If not, you know I'm the only Cuban here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, I hope we'll meet next week. If not, I wish everybody Shana Tova, Watuka, Hatima Tova, and we'll see you soon. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.